This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Sitting here right next to me, Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, hello. Hey, Mike. How are you? Are you as excited as I am that today there was actual real StatCast data coming in from Arizona? We saw Carlos Gonzalez hitting a ball 113 miles an hour. Saw Paul Goldschmidt at 104 miles an hour. I'm thrilled. Baseball and StatCast are back, my friends. Everything is happening. Uh, listen, I'm really excited. On the phone with us, we have... Uh, Eric Burns. Eric Burns now of MLB Network, former major leaguer, played parts of 11 seasons in the big leagues, and spent several hours with me a couple months ago at MLB Network filming the StatCast Year in Review show, which was a whole lot of fun. Eric, how are you? Mike, all good, man. Great to, uh, great to be talking to you again. The last time we were slaughtering that StatCast show, which, to be honest with you, and this isn't just a joke, I'm not just saying it because I'm on the StatCast MLB podcast. That possibly was my favorite show of the entire year at MLB Network. Well, if, the, if that is even partially true, then I will thank you for it because I really had a blast. Um, I especially had a blast watching you guys figure out how you were going to do your tumble to show outfield throwing arm velocity without breaking your hip. So that was an enormous amount of fun on my part. <laughs> uh, listen. So, yeah, the, biggest, the biggest thing was when, when you know putting that thing together, it wasn't, it wasn't the tumble. It was Remember, it was the, the audio pack. That I, that I had that you usually have on your back, right? So there's one other time where I've done, and, and to explain people who are listening to this, and, and explain to you, Matt, like basically I throw, I pretend like I'm throwing the ball, but then I do the full four front flip afterwards. But it's really difficult to do unless it's just kind of a heat of the moment sort of thing. So we tried to recreate that. The whole idea was essentially to show how players and certain players will do everything they can to put their force and their energy behind the ball. And then now with StatCast, we have, an, we have, we have you know, different ways to, to measure that, and we can actually find out if that throw even is, is beneficial or not. So the whole point of that was you were trying to show that momentum can really make a big difference in throwing arm, and I thought that was really cool. You know, but I'm curious. You've done a lot of the StatCast work over the year. Which one of the, the newish stats really stood out to you? Is it throwing arm? Is it spin rate? What kind of stands out to you as, wow, I wish I'd known that? I think spin rate, from the pitching side of things, is very uh, beneficial. And, it, and it's something that I always knew as a hitter. I, I couldn't have told you spin rate because I had no idea why. Facing Chris Young, and he's the example, Mike, that you and I used during the show, but... Uh, how is he throwing 85-mile-per-hour fastballs right down the middle, belt high, past guys? And then we learned, that obviously, you know, the past season uh, about stat gas and spin rate and, and, and what that does uh, as far as, you know, I, perceived velocity is interesting for me because I, I realize how stat gas comes up with it. But I think perceived velocity needs to directly correlate to actually with spin rate. 
Because I would watch Chris Young throw, and I'd think to myself, this guy looks like he's throwing 95 miles per hour, yet I'm looking up on the board, and it says 83. How is that possible? And I really think it has to do, obviously, with the spin rate. And then if you go ahead and look for, say, a way to analyze a hitter, and we always knew guys, quote-unquote, hit the ball hard. And, and they, would used to, they used to say, like, oh, it just sounds different coming off his bat. Oh, yeah? Well, now we have a chance to measure that. Does it sound different? Oh, yeah, it does sound different. We were right. But guess what? It sounds different because the ball's coming off his bat at 119 miles per hour, whereas it's coming off, say, somebody, you know, an average major leaguer at, you know, 105 miles per hour, say, top exit velocity. So, you know, all of the numbers, I think, have been really cool, really fun. Um, I, I think we're still learning. I think there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of room to grow and, and, and understand. But as a as a, somebody who watches baseball and analyzes baseball for a living, I, I couldn't be any more excited to, to have all of the, these numbers thrown at. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up spin rate because I have to say, and I, I don't even think we were on camera at the time. You kind of offered one of the the most intelligent. Uh, reviews of spin rate that I think I've heard from a player because what we've learned is that spin rate if it's a high spin rate on a fastball it'll stay up longer if it's a low spin rate it'll drop quicker and uh, you had this really good explanation I thought how it really changed the the swing plane or the eye path of the hitter in the sense that it's just not where you expect it to be and as a hitter there's no way you can make that adjustment you know at the very end of the of the pitch coming towards you uh, and I, I think is that something that as a hitter during your playing days you might have been interested in knowing well this pitcher's got a high spin rate I'm going to try to swing differently against him I'll give you another guy to add it. Um, I mean, there's a few. It, it, anyone who throws like a real good four-seam fastball, right? I remember Rafael Betancourt at, at one time just having a real explosive fastball. The guys who, who literally their fastball seem like it rides. Whether or not it, it actually does, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you guys uh, be, be, the, be the ones that tell me that in, in, in the numbers and uh, everything else uh, now that we can measure everything. But there's certain guys that – felt like they threw rising fastballs, and the ball would explode through the zone. There's another term, guys, that uh, is commonly thrown around uh, the major leagues or professional baseball, and you know, you go all these colleges in high school, and they, call, they talk about somebody throwing a, a heavy ball. And I, I've, never, I've never found a way to explain what a heavy baseball is. It, it just... It looks like it, it's coming at you, and it's, I, I don't know, it's different than, than just velocity, right? It just, there's something about it. And I still don't know what the number is in, in, in stat cast. And maybe it is spin rate, and maybe maybe spin rate directly correlates to those guys who would throw, quote, unquote, a heavy baseball. But, uh, again, it's it just, you know, here, here we are at the uh, – you know, it's the beginning of, of learning all this new information and, 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 and gathering all this statistical data. And now, now I think the fun part now is it's about applying that data and seeing what we can learn from it. Now, Eric, I think maybe you might you might have been holding out on us because, as it turns <laughs> out, Rafael Bencourt had the highest uh, four seam fastball spin rate in the majors last year. So. Uh, either that was a really no, good I, guess, or you you've been doing your homework. I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. Are you kidding? No, 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 no. Hey, hey, listen to me. This is, this is what's so great about it is that I had no freaking clue, <laughs> no idea 
what Rafael Benkert's spin rate was. I just knew that he's one of the last, he's the lasting memories, right? So yeah. 2010 was my last year. And I remember facing him. I, I believe he was with the Rockies at the time. And I, re- and I was facing him in a spring training game. And he threw a fastball down the middle. And, and he threw three of them, actually. And I foul tipped, like, all three of them right into the catcher's glove. And I couldn't understand how I was missing this ball. And, and as a matter of fact, like, I, I could personally think Rolfield Betancourt for, for me deciding when I got released like a month later just to be done with baseball. Because I thought to myself, if I'm missing fastballs right down the middle, it might be time to find something else to do. Now, little did I know, had spin rate been a huge factor and I was able to recognize that, then I would have been okay with him throwing his 92-mile-per-hour fastball right by me. My confidence would have been, you know, perfectly unaffected, and I might still be playing baseball at 40 years old right now. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that would be a good thing or a bad thing, figuring I, I, I feel like I found a little niche in my, my post-career. So may, maybe me not knowing spin rate was, was, was good for my life. Now, you talk about Betancourt, and before you talked about Chris Young and how maybe StatCast has changed the way we look at certain players. Are there any other, any other, any other players, maybe position players, who StatCast has changed the way that you, you look at them? Well, I, I think, the, and I'm not sure if it's changed the way I look at them, but it, it just validates everything that I already knew, and, and that's Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, it's, it, it's amazing to see the ball come off his bat, the exit velocity, obviously the, the distances, uh, you know, on the, on the home run and whatnot. But it, it's just, uh, I mean, you, you see that, that, that's really cool, that's really fun to watch. The outfield arms is interesting. I, I you know, there, there, there's guys who – um, who obviously, you know, you thought had really good arms. Um, and then, and then there's other guys that, you know, maybe you didn't look at as, as having the greatest arm yet. Now we're measuring, you know, velocity out of their hand. And I think maybe what was it? Jason Hayward who had the highest, uh, you guys tell me there's someone, someone who had the highest. It was like, oh, okay. Like I thought he had a good arm and I knew that, but I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't, I never thought he was throwing you know, 98 miles per hour or 100 miles per hour from the outfield. Hayward had one in Dodger Stadium early in the year that was sort of the first wow throw of the year. That was, I think, 98 yeah, to throw really someone good. out at the plate. The 103 by Carlos Gomez was the is the current gold standard. Yeah, 103.1. Uh, yeah. That's what it was, yeah. And uh, Jake that, and that was it. And I, I, and I knew Gomez had a good arm. I, I knew that, right? But I did think Gomez had the best arm in the outfield of baseball. Yeah, number two, I, I, number two I, to his teammate Jake no Marisnik. So that, that, was, that was very surprising uh, for me. And, and then, you know, Mike, you know, you and I talked about this guy on the show, but, but Marcelo Asuna. Um, Love Marcelo You know, there, there, there's, a, there, there, there's a guy that, you know, I think we can look at and, and realize, you know, just all of his potential by, by meeting, you know, the standards of what we would consider – a five-tool player now, according to the numbers. Yeah, I love Marcelo Zuna. I've written about him. I've talked about him. As you say, we do consider him a five-tool player. Uh, Eric, I want to take you back a little bit earlier in your career. 
uh, you were on the you came up with Oakland and you were on the quote unquote Moneyball A's teams. Uh, and one thing I think a lot of people may not know about you is that you were working towards a double major in, in history and economics. Like you're you're an educated guy. And I'm curious at the time, was there any understanding in the moment of what the what Billy Bean was trying to do, or was he just kind of seen in the locker room as the guy upstairs trying some out of the box things? Um, no, because the, the, the information was relayed to us. So it wasn't that, you know, Billy was just upstairs doing his thing and, and we felt like he was, you know, just randomly piecing together these teams. You, you knew what he was doing and, and you knew what they liked. And, not you know, even beyond Moneyball and, you know, the, the, the type of players he would like to sign or whatever else, there was an organizational philosophy that, that was taught uh, as soon as you signed with the Oakland A's organization. And the guy who really needs to get credit for, for implementing that philosophy is Keith Whitman, who's the longtime farm director. And Keith would basically go around to, to every minor league team uh, dur- during, during the season and obviously starting spring training and, and just really harp on the approach. And the approach was, look, we're not looking to walk. We're not going up, hitting, you know, going up to the plate, looking uh, just to get on base. We're looking to do damage. And we're looking to do damage, at, whether it's early in the count or late in the count, it doesn't matter. But the idea was to, to wait and to get your pitch. And before two strikes, do not give up a week out. Make sure you're getting your A pitch and your A swing. And in translation, was going to be bases on balls, which obviously led to on base percentage and everything else. But they would, they would, they would, you know, went so far actually. Uh, when I was playing short season A ball in Medford, Oregon, where they our first at bat of the game, we would have to take until either too low or we got a strike on us. And the idea was. Once you get to 2-0, now you're in a hitter's count, right? Now you're in that, okay, you know, boom. I get to narrow my strike zone, bring it down, one pitch, one spot, uh, and do damage. And then if you have a strike on you, okay, fine, then you can go ahead and hit. And, and you know, as, as much as everybody hated it and bitched and complained, uh, believe it or not, it was, uh, it was very helpful in, in developing the strike zone for, uh, for all the young Oakland hitters. Eric, uh, last question before we let you go. Next week in Arizona is the Sabre Analytics uh, Analytics Conference for a couple of days, and I will be there presenting on StatCast with Darren Willman uh, from MLBAM. And then you're going to be there as well. You're going to be presenting on an MLB Now panel with Ken Rosenthal, Brian Kenny, Vince Gennaro. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about. I have absolutely no idea, Mike. <laughs> but I, 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 I got to imagine it'll, it'll be obviously uh, – Obviously, delving into the numbers, and and it's something that that I I have a uh, I have an immense passion for. It's something that I believe in. It's it's something that uh, you know I, I I've become a numbers geek. I it, it's it's a tool, and, and I'm a fan, right? And, and it's a, it's a tool for all of us to to use and evaluate players. Um, and you know, the whole Saber metrics revolution is, is really really uh, really cool in my opinion. And really beneficial, uh, not only for for front offices and not only for managers and coaches, but I I, I think for obviously the baseball analysts and, and just the, the fan in general uh, to be more knowledgeable 
on on what statistic you know we truly believe uh, to be significant. And I still think we're we're at the infant stages of, of understanding all of these numbers. Um, but I, I really I really enjoy the direction it's going. And, and just real quick, um, real quick little story before uh, I go here. OPS, it, it's the, which is the most basic freaking formula you could dream of. Like, no one was talking OPS. None of the players, none of the coach. Yeah. And David Forrest, the assistant general manager for the uh, Oakland A's, who's now the general manager, but he was, he was fresh out of Harvard. And him and I, ironic, we played against each other in, in, in college. And uh, he he brought me in. He's like, no, oh, he brought me in. We, we were actually sitting there and he was going over these numbers. And he was he was showing me. He's like, hey, look. He's like, let me show you something. He's like, let me show you how we're, how, how we're looking at players and how we're getting any players. And he said, we have this formula, you know, this formula, OPS, on base plus slugging. And I'm like, yeah, here's your big genius formula. I kind of got it. I'm like, okay. I said, I, I, I said, I dig that. I said, what, what's the number that I want to shoot for? And his response was 800. So from there on out for the rest of my career, now I did not achieve 800. I think I did maybe once or twice. But that, that's, a, a, that's the beginning of an all-star caliber player. And obviously there's a lot, that more, you know, a lot more goes into the all-star caliber player when you bring up the defense and everything else. But that, like, that right there, like, that, that changed the way – I, I, I approached things and I looked at things out and, I, and it broke me out of the mold. And this is 16 years ago of just looking at the traditional batting average, the traditional home runs, the traditional RBIs. That's all we used to look at. And that was it. Homers or the batting average homers and RBIs. So, uh, you know, and obviously it's, it's now become way more advanced than that, but uh, it, it's fun to, it's, it's fun to be involved in, I'm looking forward to that conference next week. I like that. Use advanced stats to set goals and work towards them. Uh, we just we heard Chris Coglin a couple weeks ago on the show saying exactly the same thing. Eric, really great stuff. Uh, Eric Burns, former Major League outfielder. Watch him on MLB Network. Catch him at Sabre Analytics in Arizona next week. Eric, I'm going to make sure to look you up when I'm out there. Really appreciate the time. Mike, Matt, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I love Eric Burns. Is he the most entertaining guy in the in the world? He is enthusiastic to say the least. Uh, but he has some good points. He's he's really you know he's got this reputation as being this like all hair and running and going crazy. He's a really intelligent guy. No question. Uh, I, I for me what stood out. I we're here's the truth. We were both sitting here trying not to laugh as he was talking because he started talking about how he thought Rafael Betancourt had good spin rate. And I'm looking at Matt and I'm going, he had the number one spin rate. He had the best spin rate of, of at what at 39 years old or four seamers. Yeah. yeah four, you know so like that that apparently spin rate ages well. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Right. Uh, but that's cool because that is he was talking about a plate appearance what, five or six years ago. And I doubt he was thinking about RPMs at the time. But still, he noted it like as a as a player, as a guy in the box with a viewpoint that, you know, we're not going to have. He's like, there's something about this guy's fastball. It's not as fast as it should be, but I can't hit it. And I don't know why. And I think this is kind of getting towards why. Yeah, he, he reminds me of another player that we sort of talked about. He's Petit, the kind of guy whose stat cast has maybe taught us something about him that we didn't know yeah, he, he doesn't throw hard, but he's gotten outs, and it's always been the uh, the quote-unquote invisible, right? Nobody can see it, and maybe he's got a, a funky delivery, but it's about deception, and we can kind of measure that a little bit. Uh, we have we have extension 
Uh, and then we figured out a way to kind of apply that to height. So if you combine height and extension, his is, I think it was number two in the big leagues, and it might be number one if Carter Capps doesn't actually pitch this season. So I think that's why, you know, Petit, really interesting signing, because from a StatCast point of view, we can sort of put some metrics to why a guy who isn't as impressive as you think is getting all these outs. And he'll be with the Nats this year, came up in the Mets system, and when he was in the Mets system, I was working at Baseball America doing their top 30 prospects, and he'd had a year where he had like a 2.2 ERA with like, 11 strikeouts per nine. And I remember calling scouts and them just being like, I don't know, there's just something about like the way hitters just can't seem to pick up the ball out of his hand. And we now have StatCast uh, to uh, to show yeah. us exactly why that is. And, and that goes back to extension. And I think that's cool because there was a, a study that came out recently showing that hitters actually can't even see the ball for the last, I, I don't know exactly what, let's say last 10 feet before it comes to the plate. Just like the eye does not work that fast. So if your extension is even further, that just lessens the amount of visual time they have to see the ball. And I think that is something that sounds bizarre, but that would certainly explain a guy like Ismero Petit. The other guy that um, jumped out to me that uh, Eric brought up uh, was Marcelo Zuna. Love uh, Zuna. He's, you know, we talked a lot about Jake Marisnik last yes. week, and I think Ozuna kind of falls in that category of this player who said it does everything well from a StatCast perspective. We called him one of our five-tool players, and we kind of came up with five StatCast metrics that sort of align with the traditional five tools, and he was on it. Uh, and he was also a guy who got sent to the minor leagues for three weeks this season. So he didn't have a great year, but I remember writing about him. Uh, he is one of the top 20 guys in exit velocity, and he was the only one to have a below-average offensive season. And we don't know how this is going to correlate year to year, but I refuse to believe if you're hitting the ball that hard, you're going to continue to struggle to find success. So when I think about breakouts or bounce-backs this year, Marcelo Zuna all the way. There's your, your, uh, your fantasy advice. Now, another piece of fantasy advice we can give you, and we'll uh, bring you to our StatCast stat of the week. Mike, can you uh, give it to us? 98.1 miles an hour. What is that? That, all right, I'm going to tell you what it is. It is the top, uh, second half. It's the exit velocity leader of all baseball, 98.1 miles an hour. Uh, partially Stanton was hurt, so that's a little unfair. Who do you think it is? Um, well, I know the answer. Well, you so. do know the answer. Okay. It's Ryan Zimmerman, all right? And you don't think about Ryan Zimmerman a lot these days. He used to be a superstar, and then he couldn't play third base anymore, and he keeps getting hurt. Uh, and then he actually got hurt in September and ended the season on the DL. But for the first three months of the season, he had a 64 weighted runs created plus. The simple answer is 100 is league average. He was 36% below average uh, before he got he went on the disabled list because he was trying to play through a bad foot. Never try to play through pain. This is how these things happen. He takes six weeks off. He comes back 71% above league average. And if you look at his exit velocity stats, first three months, 88 miles an hour, 88, 9 miles an hour, 88 miles an hour. He comes back 98 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour. 97 miles an hour. A totally different hitter. And what I think that shows is when he's not hurt, the talent is still there. He is a very good hitter. Of course, he's always hurt. So that's kind of the issue. And that's sort of an issue the Nats have on their team. They've got him and Rendon, two players who, when they're healthy, yeah. seem to always produce. But Jason Worth, I would throw in that yeah. mix too. That, that's, that's an issue for them. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm buying into Ryan Zimmerman right until the time he gets on the deal again. Okay, well, while we're doing out fantasy advice, you, you know, Zimmerman was part of a piece you wrote this week on bounce back hitters and uh they'll the t- two more names on that list why don't you break them down for us before we go uh robinson cano what's the narrative around robinson cano he got signed to this insane contract and he went to seattle and he didn't have a very good season that is the narrative and it's not necessarily true and i think you can bear that out not only by looking at the numbers but just by knowing a little bit about him you know he had a, this stomach parasite thing that was messing with him i, I believe he had a death in the family that was affecting him so his uh, first three months or so of the season, through the middle of June, he was 34% below average. Uh, from then on, 50% above average is actually better from June 15th to the end of the year than he'd ever been in any season of his career. Are you talking about exit velocity, weighted runs created? I'm talking about weighted runs created okay. plus. 
And part of the reason for that is, there's a couple of reasons, one of them is just bad luck, right? You hit the ball over 100 miles an hour, you should get a hit, right? You've done your job. It's not always gonna happen, sometimes you're gonna hit it right at somebody, but you can clearly say, I've done my job as a hitter. So his batting average on those balls uh, through the middle of June was only 450. Now you might think 450 sounds great. Major league average on those balls is 620. So he just wasn't getting that luck. And then he actually had the major league average almost exactly for the rest of the season. It's like that luck kind of rebounded. Partially he stopped hitting so many ground balls. So that matters. That's launch angle. But, uh, you know, he found those balls he was crushing and they landed. I, I, he's kind of not – He's. Yeah. I'm losing my train of thought here. He's still going to be a very good player, and he has been. He almost feels like he's become a fantasy sleeper. I look at fantasy rankings, and it's like you look at second baseman, and I see Altuve, you know, when you look at auction prices, it's like twice as much as any other second baseman. And I, to some degree, I get it. There aren't many 40 steel guys. I think 40 steel players are as rare as 40 homer players. So in a certain sense, Altuve is as valuable as Giancarlo Stanton in fantasy, if you think that 40. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm much I don't mean much more confident. I'm pretty confident that Cano will beat Altuve in average and RBIs and definitely power. You know, and definitely power. So it's sort of like I, I look at it as Cano has been very good for ten years, with the exception of about two and a half months. And I'm not going to write a man off for those two and a half months, especially when he came back and crushed the ball for the like the remainder of the season. The last guy on your list, uh, Altuve's former teammate, Chris Carter. I, uh, I really liked Chris Carter going to the Brewers, a one-year deal for like $2.5 million, and he's going to get playing time. Chris Carter, you know, if I had taken that, that Zimmerman stat instead of the second half and just made it best exit velocity after August 1st, that would have been Chris Carter because Chris Carter did nothing but crush baseballs when he makes contact with baseballs, and that's always his issue. But if you look at his exit velocity the first couple months of the season, 93, 91, 92, August 95, September 101.3, destroying baseballs. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. He changed his stance at about that time. And you always like to have a real reason for a change and not just, oh, that happened. Uh, and he really, he started making contact with better pitches. He stopped making contact on bad pitches outside the zone. It dropped from 37% through August to only 26%. We've talked about this a lot. Don't make contact on terrible pitches. That's what pitchers want you to do. So he changed his stance, started making more contact in the zone. Everybody knows he's got power. So if we're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, he's going to hit. 205. I mean, that's unavoidable with him. But I think he goes to that park. He has plenty of time. He's going to hit 35 homers. Yeah. And I also believe amongst, don't quote me on this because I think uh, I don't have the uh, database in front of me. Among qualified hitters, I think he uh, led the majors in uh, height of batted balls. Is that true? I, I would so. believe it. I, listen, everything he hits, he hits hard. It's yeah. just like, when can he get to that power? Because he doesn't make enough contact. It's always going to be his issue. But I like, I don't care about batting average and I like home runs. So that's where I come Don't from. we all? <laughs> don't we all? All right. Hey, that was a really fun show. Eric Burns was awesome. We got a lot of bounce backs here. So thank you to Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Thank you to Eric Burns. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. This has been the MLB.com StatCast podcast. We will catch you next week.